welcome to Finding Me Again, Passion, Purpose and Parenting. And what happens is my children then come home to me singing because the music's back on. Oh, oh, I can do this again and my brain still works and yes, this is it. This one's for the busy, loving, spread thin parents and those who love them. It takes a lot of work to find ourselves again or maybe for the first time and you've got to know where to look. Finding Me Again podcast is here for you. I'm Rachel Lackey, psychotherapist specialising in parent fulfilment and mum to two little boys. In this podcast, I interview parents about a time when they felt the most lost and the passions that got them through. I'll be gathering the things they've learnt along the way and throwing in my own tips that you can use to find fulfilment. Hello, welcome. I'm out in my local woods today recording because it's gorgeous and much better than sitting at my desk again. You might be able to hear the children in the local school playing. Some of them are mine. You might be able to hear an alarm going off, but hopefully you can also hear a lot of birds. My guest today is Osahan Orchard. We became friends doing a master's in theatre practice at Central School of Speech and Drama. (laughs) Bet some of you didn't know that was part of my former life uh, many, many years ago. And Osahan is a brilliant singer. In fact, she sang me down the aisle for my first marriage. (laughs) And now she's a counsellor, a counselling tutor, mum to two boys and wife, and she lives in Staffordshire. Her parenting journey is one of enormous strength and resilience. You're going to hear all about it in a minute. Well, let's dive in. We met through your creativity. We met in 1999 at Central School of Speech and Drama. Doing our master's. I was very unprepared. I shouldn't have gone straight from a a bachelor's to a master's. I don't know. People were studying with us. Knew what they were doing. <laughs> yes, they knew that they wanted to do theatre and they had actual opinions on things and yeah. they'd read things and studied things they'd before. put on their own productions, very high I don't brow. know how I got in. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'm so glad I did. Pure talent, that's how you got in. Let's say it was pure talent. <laughs> but I just thought, who are these people who know things? They seem know, grown. So grown up. So, and they weren't that much of years older. older. Yeah. How how do you know things about life? How do you know things about theatre? Who told you? I've I just know. done Bugsy Malone and lovely shows. And I'd done loads of shows with my dad that he'd been producing, yeah. but nothing on my own. No, not like proper serious theatre. And my first memory of you is we had some kind of go around the circle, and I think yeah. you said you love Hugh Grant. Is that right? Oh, Hugh Grant? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I do. Even my kids know this. Do you they, still? Oh my goodness. I still love him. And I love it now because he plays bad guys. Oh. oh so now you're even more into him. I properly love him. Like it's very silly and I should have grown out of it, but I haven't. It's just wonderful. When you find your passion, <laughs> stick to it. So sad. <laughs> when I'm a little, this one was like, Mum, you're married to dad. <laughs> said that to me just this weekend because we saw something with Hugh Grant and I was like oh swoon so embarrassed he looks a bit like Hugh Grant yeah let's say he does <laughs> well it. they're both white that's about yeah, it that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that is probably sure. one of the first things people tend to know about me I love Hugh Grant and we did some shows together there and you employed me as a costume designer later down the line yeah that was crazy times. It was so lovely to have you on. I remember when I was asked to look for someone and I thought, Rachel, because we're in an insane bit of work. 
Oh, yes, so it was. <laughs> that was crazy. So yeah. I needed I needed a, a face that I thought I trust you and you make me smile <laughs> and I know you'll do great and that you can handle like a special kind of person, someone who's very <laughs> interesting oh, to work God. with. And I thought I know Rachel will be able to deal with this without it being too drama and just get on and um, so when you came on board I, I breathed easier I really oh. did because I thought right okay we can do this now <laughs> I love that it was wild <laughs> <laughs> who knew each day what new challenge yeah. task shouting we were gonna get who knew and then I moved to America fairly soon after that and we just were in phone contact or we'd see each other occasionally when I came back and then yeah. I remember speaking to you on the phone. I think maybe by phone, you told me that you were pregnant. Yeah. I remember when I told you it was in person because you cried. Yeah. Then on another phone call, I remember standing outside work and speaking with you for ages. And you told me mm. that he'd been born and he was 24 weeks or something. Yes, he was 24 weeks exactly like to the midnight, really. Wow. It was crazy. First child, you don't know what you're doing. Just over 23 weeks, I started getting the pains and you don't know what it is and you don't. You just don't have a clue um so I went off to work and I went off to see a client and that poor client did not get help that day no <laughs> couldn't quite listen I was in labor he'd only been kicking in the last week I'd only had a week of feeling him kick and then he was born really um oh so he so we weren't prepared we didn't have anything because why would you at that point um we still in our head had 16 weeks to go before we had to before he was meant to come and so he was meant to to be born in about March 13th and this was November so it just wasn't on our radar all we were thinking of was Christmas was coming mm. um and when I got the pains I just didn't think of it it wasn't till evening of having pains all day that um Adrian my husband was like we should maybe go to the doctor the pains <laughs> looking ridiculous yeah when the doctor came and looked at me and checked me out I just remember the look on his face he just looked at me and I thought I'm in labor his face he just couldn't it was only for a flash and then he tried he kind of composed himself but it was I thought well no what was that look fear yeah it was it was just fear for that moment and it was there wasn't control in that fear there was just like I don't know um and I thought oh okay this could be trouble and then he composed and then he and then he started telling me off <laughs> but even in that moment, I thought, oh, it's only because he's scared. He just, you know, he doesn't mean that because I know he doesn't. Because why would you shout at this girl? I didn't know. And he's like, why didn't you come sooner? Oh, calm and untriggered you were. But I think it's because I just had to remove myself in that moment and just be an outer person looking at it all. Um, and then we were rushed and, and so much happened. They tried to keep the baby in because they wouldn't be able to resuscitate unless they were 24 weeks at the hospital we were at. So I had all these steroids and it was about five days of keep trying to keep the baby in. And that was horrific. Being in labour for that long, for like five days, the intensity of that pain um, oh just made you kind of delirious I, I was so I felt in and out of just being in the moment you know I remember Adrian being around but then I just felt like I'd blink and he was wearing different clothes you know so I, the days just merge and then because my uh, we were um, in a hospital in Sutton Coalfield and my family's in London and Adrian's family's nearer so trying to be in contact with my family or them trying to speak to me and I thought I, I, I can't like Adrian was wonderful with them keeping them in contact but they were on my mind thinking oh my goodness the parents are going to be worried they were meant to be going back to Nigeria around that time because they were like they will do it early so they'll be around for his birth so in and out of sort of reality but worrying about others as usual just, well, just trying to think what's happening in the world but I remember when 
they realized he was just going to come this was it there was the labor was happening um and that was that pain was I thought I'd had pain in the week and I hadn't labor no one can tell you and luckily you kind of forget otherwise you wouldn't do it again but yeah I I remember that point where it was a decision was made that he's going to be coming out and so they had all these these doctors and nurses in this incubator at one side of the room and then the the um, staff for me on another and it was just like oh my goodness that you know they've already got stuff ready for him this is real this is he's you know he's gonna come oh my gosh I remember them saying don't push yet don't push yet and I thought I could sneakily push (laughs) if I just push slightly they won't know (laughs) after five days of holding back (laughs) they were screaming don't push and I was like I'm not uh, trying to push baby out it's involuntary isn't it you can't I was like I have to but then he turned sideways because he was so little (laughs) and so then I couldn't anymore and they had to give me an emergency c-section um and so suddenly it was out of my hands and all I just remember people running around me this one doctor with I just remember face with red hair red mustache red fuzzy beard looking at me as I went unconscious um, and I remember thinking, oh, nice eyes, and then gone. <laughs> what ravages your spirit? Conjures this temptuous rain. Created you a monster, broken by the rules of love. And then when I came to really groggily to see out, is it safe? Where are we? That's your first thought was him, was it? Yeah, just where is he? You know, they wheeled me into the um neonatal unit to go and see him and when I first saw him he was he was one pound two and a half which is ridiculous and you could see through his skin because it wasn't even proper skin yet you could see his organs and he was wired up there was didn't feel like there's a part of him that wasn't wired up to something and they could only put bubble wrap on him because anything else would have damaged his not skin yet even his ears hadn't unfolded so it was like little elephant ears and I remember just being terrified utterly terrified that's when you could Um, let that feeling come yeah then I was really really I was that was so scary because I couldn't see him properly I could just see danger um, and I was so scared of him and then I didn't see him I couldn't see him till the next day because I just couldn't I, I couldn't yeah. see him and um, he'd been so safe in you and you just wanted him yeah. to be there for another 16 weeks where he was protected yes, please. And, and he couldn't be so I just needed a time to not see him yeah when I was when I did a, a day later then it was just like fear was gone you know which was weird because it was it was so dangerous he was did not think he would live particularly they were doctors was wonderful because they were so straight with us there was Mm. bleed on his brain he was so small preemie boys don't tend to live as much as preemie girls do and there was so much that was not looking good for him Mm. and I really appreciated how honest they were with us but I just thought he'll be fine Mm. (laughs) I had no basis (laughs) you just kind of knew 
I totally knew. I just and so and then it never occurred to me at all through all of it that he would be anything but fine. And never occurred to me that he would die when he nearly did. Sometimes I remember coming in, coming into the neonates and hearing all the buzzers go off and the bells and hearing so much running. And we thought Mackenzie and we came in and he was blue because mm. and he hadn't been breathing for quite a while. Um, and that was a really scary moment. I remember, but I thought it's scary in this moment. I just thought they're going to get him back. And they did. And they were wonderful. Oh, those nurses and doctors in neonatal. I don't know how they have the strength to be there for the babies and there for us parents. What support did you get? You know what? The best support was the nurses chatting about their lives to us. That was the best thing. Because <laughs> they just chatted to us like we were mates. And it was... And that was what I needed. I just needed someone just to talk to me like a normal human, mm. you know. So then I could go in the hospital, obviously thinking about my boy and how he's doing, but think, oh, how did that date go with, you know, that she was going to go on a date, how are things going with there? And I could have all those other thoughts about these wonderful people who are now part of our family and community. Oh. And we had another couple called John and Claire. Mackenzie and their daughter were born like a day apart. And we became fast friends. And then we would always go for a cake together, middle of, our, of being with the kids um, and just talk nonsense. Yeah, and that's what we needed. You know, we just needed every day chit chat about soaps and TV and gossip and silliness. Just be normal parents together. Yeah, because it was such a, it's just a ridiculous situation. Yeah. The staff being so normal with us and just not yeah. treating us as special not tiptoeing around you just actually connecting no. with you just yeah that and that is just what I needed and and I know they were different with other people you could see and I just thought oh that's so clever that's so mm. skilled to understand how to be with different all these different people and to know when to push into some people that they could ask more questions of and some people who needed time to just be left we didn't have lives they could just fill us with their lives and that and as Mackenzie got older and he had many more hospital visits and we I spent so much time in Birmingham Children's Hospital you know in kids hospitals they knew I just need to be this mum's friend right now and just be as if we are best buddies and it makes me teary now because I just think oh that you knew to do that and were still excellent at your job and yeah. made my kid well and made him feel safe but also took care of me oh mm. oh just what you needed um, just what we needed um and then yeah he's this big strapping lad he's going to be 13 this year nearly yeah. as tall as me I'm 5'8 that is rude that he yeah. cares to be that tall. yeah come on <laughs> no ridiculous and he's he's great he's fine he's bouncy he runs about you know and we've had very awkward times in the middle of all that getting to this point of him being fully well yeah very long journey but um, I remember visiting you for the first time when I was home from yeah. America and you were you yeah. were pumping you were sitting on the sofa surrounded by all your stuff and he was still in hospital and yeah you know you were so resilient hmm. so you but there was still a heaviness a sadness to it yeah of course that you were keeping going with life at home with life there it wasn't the way you'd planned it. It wasn't how no. it was supposed to be. You were separate from him and giving out so much energy without being able to, maybe around the time you were allowed to do kangaroo care. Or yeah, it was like yeah. a month before we could even touch him, yeah. you know. And and so when we did, that was Christmas Eve that mm. we were able to touch him. And that was, oh, 
my goodness I, I remember the feel of him on my chest I remember the oh my god the warmth of him is so warm mm. yeah it wasn't how we planned but I think we're almost saved the, because he was the first one mm. so I don't have a comparison we just didn't bring our kid home till four months so I think that saved us because we didn't have to compare we didn't have to um have another child having to run around yeah. and do deal with that but it was just our experience of parenthood um when we had Connor and then we were allowed to take him home that same day that freaked me out I was oh, like, right. why aren't you all going to look after him for a while haven't told us what, us what to, to do, do. Yeah. you just think we can go home they didn't do that before that was weird right. oh, of course. <laughs> I just thought why have they just we could, how, how can we just go home with him yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that phased us and I, we were shocked by what we thought but no, I just thought no one has told me what to do with him. <laughs> what yeah. do they think I know? He's just been born. Why am I going just... home with him? <laughs> <laughs> that was really strange. But yeah, first time we just thought that was. The... But we felt so equipped because we'd been trained. When we came home with him, the fear that other people thought we'd have about taking care of this very preemie boy, we just didn't have because right. we'd been, you know, tr- we'd just been so well trained in how to be yeah. with this little one. Um, whereas people around us were sometimes really scared because he was, he was what, four months old and he was three pounds something and he could hold his head up. So he looked like just this beautiful little alien. He was so yeah. gorgeous. I remember seeing him and you were feeding him <laughs> yeah. in a high chair. But he looked like a newborn and people were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Who is this amazing child? And he had big eyes because he's yeah. just like normal big size and then his body was this little icky thing. And but it just we, it was so normalized for us. And I think sometimes I'd get surprised. Why are they being like, oh, yeah, they haven't had a preemie child. They don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they trained us well. Mm. We were so well supported and guided into what it was going to be to be parents of a preemie baby that um, it didn't occur to me to be scared about it. You know, wow. you just had those few hours where you couldn't see him. And then you were like, right, let's do this or something. <laughs> Yeah, it was. It was just, I just needed that time. Um, and I think I needed, not exactly forgive myself at that time, but just that knowledge that's just what I needed, that I mm, was just yeah. really scared. Um, and that didn't mean something bad about me or didn't mean something bad about, like I didn't love him immediately or anything yeah. like that. But I had to tell myself that just to go, don't let that sneak in. Mm-mm. But you needed that time because you were terrified for a moment yeah. and you needed to just address that fear and calm down so you could be the mum he needed. Yeah, um, exactly. But I just, I remember I had to kind of tell myself that almost out loud to just so that was out in the open. That yes. I, didn't have, I didn't let it mess with my head. Had to retreat and build up your resilience for what was to yeah. come. The nurses' stories are something that got you through and you mentioned that stories oh, are still yeah. something important for you. It's rare, even when I'm doing any bit of laundry or housework that I haven't got headphones on, listening to Audible, listening to stories, listening to plays, listening to podcasts. I just, I like hearing of different lives and different experiences and gives me a break from my now. Recharging, I I find that, to just get, be able to be back in my own life because it's so busy. (laughs) My life is maybe too busy. Um, (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) There's a lot going on. There is a lot going on. So I like I love my journeys to work 
because I, then I can listen. I can listen to music or I can listen to some stories. And on that journey, just whether it's just to the train or just walking to the office, I take those moments just to have like recharging time. And I get quite, I'm quite responsive. Like I, I forget sometimes. Dark back to them. I, I honestly... Um, if I'm out even just walking somewhere and I go oh, no I'm on the bus oh my goodness oh I just laugh out loud and I go oh, okay oh my <laughs> just reel it in okay calm down there so people can see you if I can hear yeah. you <laughs> so, <laughs> I do but I get so involved yeah that retreat into someone else's world and their stories and their creativity um just it it just fuels me it just makes mm. me really happy and also um, Rihanna. Rihanna makes me really happy. <laughs> just listening to her music, that just, it, it recharges me. Yeah. There's something about the, the boldness of her um, and the, um, the fight of her, that realness of, of her. And it's not neat, you know, it's, mm. not, it's not overly packaged. And I just, I blur her music and I love listening to it because it just reminds me, oh yeah, yeah, that's what I'm like. That's what I want to do. That I, I love that. And if I'm going into tough meetings or I think, oh, that's going to be a long day or we're going to have to deal with something quite tough today, I usually have a Rihanna playlist. Just yeah. before, and, and I would listen to it probably just till just before I get into wherever I need to go. That messy, powerful realness. Yeah, it is. And it just gets me up. We're ready to do it. So it gets you like pumped up or confident. It does. It just reminds me that I can do this and it just gets me in an energy because I just love to dance to her songs. I just love to just move and I love the beat and just the rhythm of the of her songs. I just love that rhythm and it feels like that rhythm. I don't know, maybe the energy of it stays within me. Oh yeah. Um, so I'm not totally still anymore. Like I'm still moving. I'm Something's vibrating in you still. Yeah, I can move. I can move with whatever's going on because I've got that energy, that rhythm in me. I became his carer because he ended up having to have a tracheostomy to breathe because when he was born his um his, his basically breathing apparatus just didn't grow very well and so um he had to have this tube in his neck in order to help him breathe properly after a while because he just stopped breathing for a bit and I became his full-time carer because he was doing so he, fine without it for years wasn't he he was but he was he was doing fine till what he was about five um, and we knew that he had noisy breathing but because that's always how he was and he just did stuff anyway and then he just rested when he needed to and we just got all got used to it and he would just rest a bit more than other kids but he was fine so we were fine but yeah. as we had checkups with our wonderful consultant uh, they were like this isn't good this isn't. Mm. he's been managing and actually he's been overcompensating and we're not sure how he's lasted this long uh -huh. um 
but he shouldn't anymore. And so yeah. we went into this elective surgery to kind of um, open up his airway, but there was a risk that his airway would collapse because it was quite fragile. Um, and then his, his airway did totally collapse after that operation. And so he could no longer breathe on his own, um, which was utterly terrifying. Go in to help him and then it's you're set back. It was awful. It, and, and dealing with the the guilt of that because we chose to do that he, he was he went into hospital fine in our eyes yeah. and then came out disabled um and unable to breathe without a tube and that was tricky that was um that was challenging but we had to make that decision and unfortunately it would have happened at some point yeah so now it happened in a controlled environment you know yeah. that they could deal with it straight away and meet his need one of his consultants could dress up as spider-man on, one, on a day where he was feeling sad Aww. and came to his bedside and you know tried to cheer him up and so we had that and that's what happened and then they scooped him up and they took care of him and how long was it supposed to be for until he would be okay they thought that maybe he would have the tracky for a few months maybe maybe even a year not too long so I, as I knew I had to be the carer I'd quit my job we'd just kind of reorganized our life our youngest Connor was like 18 months, um, having an 18 month year old in a neonatal unit with buttons and we had to get the grandparents to take him out because he was just going to pull people's plugs. Yeah. <laughs> 18 months, it's not fun to be there. Poor, poor, beautiful boy. So yeah, so it was, it was, that was really difficult to manage. But when we knew that that's what we we're going to have to do, um, that was fine. We did that. We had to be trained up to be able to, change his tube safely um, every day and clean his the 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 hole in his neck and make sure that was safe mm. because we couldn't leave hospital unless they'd signed us off that we were as good as them you know wow. um, and me and Ava would practice doing those ties we were such dedicated students yeah they were the nurses and doctors they were so proud of us because we we're always on the bed trying our different ties uh, and making sure that we were like we want to get home with our yeah. boy just life changed because then from working became his carer and so I had to go to school with him when he was finally allowed back in school which was a fight for them to allow us to to go in with this boy with tracheostomy and his mum as mm. carer but I was like he's gonna get to school so you guys need to figure that out <laughs> yeah so if he was going to be there it needed to be you as his carer but yeah, they were reluctant to have him there at yeah all. because it was going to be scary for them and they hadn't had that experience before and he was so young and there were so many things that I understand were scary to them, but my boy needed to go to school. So that was the end of that. Yeah. Figure out a way to make that happen. A lot of people have now homeschooled. So we've got a little bit of perspective of what it's like to spend all day with your child and be everything to them. But what was it like? Luckily, we get on real well. Mm. Um, you know, I think our, our personalities have just kind of blended because we had to spend every day all day with each other. Yeah. But yeah, it worked. And he, he managed it. Mackenzie's a resilient kid he's yeah. he bounces you know he bounces with situations and he's honest with me you know when I'm doing his head in he will let me know <laughs> when he's doing my head in we can talk and go you know I love you but you're just annoying me now and you know because we've had to spend so much time so that honesty is there all the time things don't fester you can get it out there repair you know and we're always going to be good I think it I had to make sure I made that happen with Connor as well because Connor was so small and um, when it all started and I had to, had to live in um, 
the Ronald McDonald House at Birmingham Children's Hospital oh. while Mac was getting treated. So I wasn't living with Con. You yeah. would see him mostly just at the weekends. Adrian's parents were wonderful and, and they looked after Connor and um, friends did as well. Oh, my friend Ali and her family just took Connor in. So he knew he was loved and he just got used to I go to different houses. This is yeah. my life. Um, and because they were all positive places to pay, be and places that knew our standard, our values, you know, and we had shared values. So then it, there wasn't, it wasn't different. He could just be uh. himself in all of the places that we had to go. And he did have to go to different places because it was, it was complicated. And who were you then? What was going on in your head? What did you need? What did you get? I think for a time I had to not be I didn't know how to be anybody Mm. because there didn't seem space for me to be someone I just needed to be there for Mackenzie so I think for a while I was just this blob who was Mm. there for Mackenzie and there for Connor an extension of them or providing for their needs but not someone I didn't know how and I didn't know how to find room at all to meet a need within myself at all I don't think I acknowledged any for a bit because I was just I just got to be there for them you know they couldn't be met so best not to acknowledge they exist yeah and that wasn't that wasn't great (laughs) it just becomes repercussions of that where um you 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 lose what you're about you know Mm. you you try and think what am I other than mum carer yeah this kind of medicalized aspect of your of my caring role with him yeah my needs just weren't important at that time yeah I lost just what I was gonna do because I wasn't gonna do anything other than just be there weren't gonna do anything that you might need or that might fill you up there wasn't room to be filled up because I just needed to make sure that both of my boys in in different ways knew that I had their backs and yeah they were going to be okay because I had to spend so much time with Mac I needed to make sure that Connor knew he wasn't less, you know, he wasn't on the sidelines, that he was fully mine, you know, and and I was utterly there for him. And that just takes more energy. I don't think I realised how hard that was going to be for a while because you just run on empty, don't you? You just keep doing it. And you were trying to originally get to the deadline of possibly a year. And then it went on for? Four years because he just kept going utterly wrong. Um... It, it was really difficult and I felt for Mackenzie a lot in that time because yeah. we'd have the the build-up of oh you're gonna get rid of the trackie it would just fail again sometimes within a couple of hours sometimes mm. we came home and I think that was the most painful times when we came home and but once I think after the first time we came home he was super fine like he was just like nothing happened and running around playing not that noisy and then a couple of days noisy and then he had to, mm. and then it was he went downhill really fast and he had to have a track again and that disappointment for him yeah was tough um, and we had that about four times uh. um and I think the toughest part though was um where we had to have this stent in his uh, throat they tried to reconstruct his airway and so they had to put the stent in to keep everything in place which meant um oh and this still haunts me now that mm. he couldn't speak he couldn't make any sound for about nearly a month and that's when he was actually really sad. And then he would have to just write me notes mm. and write me. He had this little tablet phone that he could type out messages. And he was just like, I, I'm now I'm really sad. And he was, and that's when I, probably the time I got scared for his emotional state and all of it. Physical danger but until then. Until then, because in his mood, he was just 
so much in the here and now. Now I have it, now I don't, okay. But when he couldn't speak, that I just, that was our toughest time. And was that when you lost your hair? Actually, I lost my hair after everything was fine. We were all good. Like Mac, his trackie was out after that final time. And um, it had been um, over a year since he'd had his trackie out. So we were in proper good stable time. I'd started working now a million jobs because when I was nothing before, now I'm all the things. (laughs) All the jobs. And then we were feeling really good and secure. And then I just started losing my hair. It was like, but shouldn't this have happened while I was Yeah, Yeah. while we're in the war Um, but it didn't happen at time of actual peace and and goodness and it was it was really horrible it was Mm. so horrible um to to just be losing my hair and just have to decide I had to just shave it all off black women in our hair there's a special thing about it in how we plait it and how we we make something out of it and it's just there's a lot of meaning into preparing our hair yeah um to have it off I think affected me more than I realized because I was just like right I'm just gonna be practical I just gotta shave it all off because I just had all these horrible patches and I couldn't bear to look at me like that Mm. so Adrian shaved it off it it was probably a couple of weeks after we'd cut it all off I would just try and look at me Mm. just think I don't I don't like this person who I'm seeing this isn't me I don't know who this person is it's not me me I I like but I don't like who the world is seeing who I'm you know showing myself to be I don't like that yeah that's not me um no I didn't feel connected to that person and so I think I did even more I had about four or five jobs whoa and then I also put on shows at my kids school and I just thought you know what the kids need a show <laughs> what kid doesn't want to put on a show so we put on this kind of uh, this musical review and um and it was just with a few it was maybe about 15 16 kids from all the different years and then the next year we had like gosh 30 40 kids do it and we put on a show and it was so much fun and the, I didn't have time to do it <laughs> no I didn't have time to do any of it but I went back to performing I think and I went back to just working with young people Mm. and encouraging and motivating them and I think that was me unconsciously just finding myself again and getting back to the base of me that woman in the mirror she's not me anymore not right now but now. creative work is the creative work was working with the kids that I think even as I talk about it now I think yeah that's when I was getting back to me just seeing these kids grow oh kids who were so shy and didn't think they could sing and then singing solos <gasps> solo yeah. and then watching from the stage watching their parents face as their children uh, yes. and I thought yeah that process was just seeing me again and having my kids in the shows because I had to be <laughs> and especially with my youngest having that extra time with him in the shows. yeah seeing his confidence blossom because I think that process of him being disconnected with us Mm. did affect his confidence definitely as much as he tried to put so much in place he didn't have us as much as he should have in the normal circumstances but to see him grow oh I just thought yeah Mm. okay that fed me into being me again and finding ways to to like me properly again again I'm just connecting dots as I talk to you and thinking how I changed my look a bit more 
in mm. terms of even colors I wore or how I would dress my hair you know um there was a time one of my friends invited me over to spend some time with her and we were going to go to the spa and um it would have meant that I would have had to just have nothing on my head normally I would have I think in that time before I would have just gone yeah yeah that's fine and made myself uncomfortable mm. to meet their needs and then I just thought I can't do that I'm not ready and so I remember messaging her to say I can't come in do something different because I'm yeah. I won't be comfortable and that was such a big deal for me just to kind of honor that part of myself and just go no I I can't I'm not ready this won't be relaxing for me no I'm not ready to do that yet um even though people were wonderful and told me how lovely I look yeah beautiful. you did I had a good good head shape for, for <laughs> the so, and that was lovely but she responded beautifully as she would but the mm. big thing was that I said it and I thought oh actually I think I'm I may be liking her again you know I may be just I'm I'm, I'm paying attention to her needs yours there was a separateness in how I looked at me and then the me who lost my hair and there was a definite her me for mm, a bit until yeah. I became more aligned with that person. What's the message to you of that? There was internal stress that couldn't come out because there wasn't room or space. Maybe there's lots of guessing and that your body was just telling you. You've been through the storms, but yeah. they're still in there. It's still in there. It needs a way to come out. Also, I have um, PCOS. I have polycystic ovaries. And that's one of the... I feel like everything is a symptom of polycystic. Uh. Sweet Lord. But I did some research into that. And um, that might also have been about it. And also, life just isn't there. It certainly doesn't seem to have been for you on the outside. As, as positive and resilient as you are. It wasn't fair. And it, uh, just a really unfair thing happened. Yeah. Really unfair. So I think the biggest thing is that just life isn't fair that maybe it was part mm. of the stress I I didn't feel as stressed as people thought I should feel while all that was happening with Mac so that idea that it was stressed I don't feel as connected to that idea I just mm. think life sucks sometimes life is yeah. just really stupid you know and dumb stuff happens to you and I think it's just a dumb thing happened to me yeah um, and we could probably and, do another episode on polycystic over is that and how that affects you as a woman oh or gosh. a parent or yeah yes, I tell you um my hair has grown back um and I thought I appreciated my hair before I did not because now <laughs> oh my goodness I'm putting making all these special creams for it I love it in I watch all this stuff like I'm nurturing the hair <laughs> because I'm so I'm so grateful now I, I I'm back to looking like me I, I yeah this is what you had. You had it when I met you although you had some blue yeah. in it or different colors yes I still have blue yeah. underneath oh do you oh yes just a little hint um but yeah so this is more who I am and and that feels nice it feels just nice to have it back yeah yeah so as we draw to a close tell me what's left for you for finding fulfillment in your life ah oh, I think getting back into creativity that's the missing part I think and kind of feeling fulfilled I'm I'm not there yet but I will get there what would have to be in place letting go of something I'm doing now mm. just being okay with that a job or a commitment putting one of them down exactly yeah mm. I'm not ready yet but I know I need to because I feel that the gap of yeah. not having enough creativity in my life I need creativity the rest of it my work I love my work and it's wonderful but I love being with my kids I love being with my husband I love hanging out with my friends as much as humanly possible yeah the rest is good really good just need a bit of space to be made in there for your yeah 
creativity. Yeah, and then it will then will be like a whole package. I think more writing. As mm-hmm. much as I love stories, now I want to create them and more singing. I just need to sing somewhere. Yes. <laughs> I need to get yes. on stage and just sing somewhere. I'd say the world needs it from you too. Uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for speaking with me today, Osa. Oh, it's a pleasure, pleasure. Just nice to spend time with you. Thank you. Listen to this podcast. It's awesome. It's oh, I, I just get really inspired by it and just laugh. It's made me laugh and giggle and have tearful moments of just and relating to the parents. Oh, it's, it's been great. It's been a joy listening. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Love you. Love you. Oh, I know I can't be with you I do what I have to do And so I have the sense to recognize That I don't know how To let you go of course Osahan singing oh am I just biased or is that a fantastic human <laughs> I've actually made a second part to this interview because we went on to talk about race and parenthood so listen out for that in the next few weeks and please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already please spread the word with all the parents that you know who could benefit from this and if you can give us a iTunes review and rating that would be so helpful in helping people to find the podcast So my takeaways from this interview are listen to the people who know you and see your goodness and tell you that you're lovable. Try and keep that as an internal voice for you. Keep coming back to how they feel about you. Take moments, perhaps it'll be on your commute or returning from the school run as recharging time for yourself and work out what that is for you. Fortify yourself before a tough day with powerful music. And thank you to Rihanna for the track that I played part of in this episode. Explore clothing colour and hairstyle or hair wraps to reconnect with who you are. And honour your own needs and comforts rather than just trying to please others. Thank you so much to Osa for a beautiful interview and for being a lovely friend. Thank you to Chad Pfeiffer for the theme song which is about to play us out, Be Fleet. You can find him on chadfifer.bandcamp.com. 